Chapter Seven of the Prairie by James Fenimore Cooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by William Peck. What? Fifty of my followers at a clap? Lear. The day had now fairly opened on the seemingly interminable waste of the prairie. The entrance of Obed at such a moment into the camp, accompanied as it was by vociferous lamentations over his anticipated loss, did not fail to rouse the drowsy family of the squatter. Ishmael and his sons, together with the forbidding-looking brother of his wife, were all speedily afoot, and then, as the sun began to shed his light on the place, they became gradually apprised of the extent of their loss. Ishmael looked around upon the motionless and heavily loaded vehicles with his teeth firmly compressed, cast a glance at the amazed and helpless group of children which clustered around their solemn but desponding mother, and walked out upon the open land as if he found the air of the encampment too confined. He was followed by several of the men, who were attentive observers, watching the dark expression of his eye as the index of their own future movements. The whole proceeded in profound and moody silence to the summit of the nearest swell, whence they could command an almost boundless view of the naked plains. Here nothing was visible but a solitary buffalo that gleaned a meager subsistence from the decaying herbage at no great distance, and the ass of the physician who profited by his freedom to enjoy a meal richer than common. "'Yonder is one of the creatures left by the villains to mock us,' said Ishmael, glancing his eye towards the latter, and that the meanest of the stock. This is a hard country to make a crop in, boys, and yet food must be found to fill many hungry mouths. The rifle is better than the hoe in such a place as this, returned the eldest of his sons, kicking the hard and thirsty soil on which he stood with an air of contempt. It is good for such as they who make their dinner better on beggars' beans than on hominy. A crow would shed tears if obliged by its errand to fly across the district. "'What you say, trapper?' returned the father, showing the slight impression his powerful heel had made on the compact earth, and laughing with frightful ferocity. "'Is this the quality of land a man would choose, who never troubles the county clerk with title deeds?' "'There is richer soil in the bottoms,' returned the old man calmly, "'and you have passed millions of acres to get to this dreary spot.' where he who loves to till the earth might have received bushels in return for pints, and that, too, at the cost of no very grievous labor. If you have come in search of land, you have journeyed hundreds of miles too far, or as many leagues too little. "'There is, then, a better choice towards the other ocean?' demanded the squatter, pointing in the direction of the Pacific. "'There is, and I have seen it all,' was the answer of the other, who dropped his rifle to the earth and stood leaning on its barrel like one who recalled the scenes he had witnessed with melancholy pleasure. I have seen the waters of the two seas. On one of them was I born, and raised to be a lad like yonder tumbling boy. America has grown, my men, since the days of my youth, to be a country larger than I once had thought the world itself to be. Near seventy years I dwelt in York, province, and state together. You've been in York, tis like. Not I, not I. I never visited the towns, but often have heard the place you speak of name. Tis a wide clearing there, I reckon. Too wide, too wide. They scourge the very earth with their axes. Such hills and hunting grounds as I have seen stripped of gifts of the Lord, without remorse or shame. 
I tarried till the mouths of my hounds were defeated by the blows of the chopper, and then I came west in search of quiet. It was a grievous journey that I made, a grievous toil to pass through falling timber and to breathe the thick air of smoky clearings, week after week as I did. Tis a far country, too, that state of York from this. It lies again the outer edge of old Kentuck, I reckon, though what the distance may be I never knew. A gull would have to fan a thousand miles of air to find the eastern sea, and yet it is no mighty reach to hunt across when shade and game are plenty. The time has been when I followed the deer in the mountains of the Delaware and Hudson, and took the beaver on the streams of the upper lakes in the same season. But my eye was quick and certain at that day, and my limbs were like the legs of a moose. The dam of Hector, dropping his look kindly to the aged hound and crouched at his feet, was then a pup, and apt to open on the game the moment she struck the scent. She gave me a deal of trouble, that slut she did. Your hound is old, stranger, and the rap on the head would prove a mercy to the beast. The dog is like his master, returned the trapper, without appearing to heed the brutal advice the other gave, and will number his days when his work amongst the game is over and not before. To my eye things seem ordered to meet each other in this creation. Tis not the swiftest running deer that always throws off the hounds, nor the biggest arm that holds the truest rifle. Look round, you men. What will the Yankee choppers say, when they have cut their path from the eastern to the western waters, and find that a hand, which can lay the earth bare at a blow, has been there and swept the country, in very mockery of their wickedness? They will turn on their tracks like a fox that doubles, and then the rank smell of their own footsteps will show them the madness of their waste. Howsomever, these are thoughts that are more likely to rise in him, who has seen the folly of eighty seasons, than to teach wisdom to men still bent on the pleasures of their kind. You have need yet of a stirring time, if you think to escape the craft and hatred of the burnt wood Indians. They claim to be the lawful owners of this country, and seldom leave a white more than a skin he boasts of, when once they get the power, as they always have the will, to do him harm. "'Old man,' said Ishmael sternly, "'to which people do you belong?' You have the color and speech of a Christian, while it seems that your heart is with the redskins. To me there is little difference in nations. The people I love most are scattered as the sands of the dry river beds fly before the fall hurricanes. Then life is too short to make use and custom with strangers, as one can do with such as he has dwelt amongst for years. Still I am a man without the cross of Indian blood and what is due from a warrior to his nation is owing by me to the people of the states. Though little need have they, with their militia and their armed boats, of help from a single arm of fourscore. Since you own your kin, I may ask a simple question. Where are the Sioux who have stolen my cattle? Where is the herd of buffaloes which was chased by the panther across the plain, no later than the morning of yesterday? It is as hard. Friend! said Dr. Battius, who had hitherto been an attentive listener, but who now felt a sudden impulse to mingle in the discourse. I am grieved when I find a venerator or hunter of your experience and observation following the current of vulgar error. The animal you describe is in truth a species of the Bosphatus, or Bois Silvestris, as he has been happily called by the poets. But though of close affinity, it is altogether distinct from the common Bubulus. Bison is the better word, 
and I would suggest the necessity of adopting it in the future, when you shall have occasion to allude to the species. Bison or buffalo, it makes but little matter. The creature is the same, called by what name you will, and— Pardon me, venerable venerator, as classification is the very soul of the natural sciences, the animal or vegetable must of necessity be characterized by the peculiarities of its species, which is always indicated by the name— Friend— said the trapper, a little positively. Would the tail of a beaver make the worst dinner for calling it a mink? Or could you eat of the wolf, with relish, because some bookish man had given it the name of venison? As these questions were put with no little earnestness and some spirit, there was every probability that a hot discussion would have succeeded between two men, of whom one was so purely practical and the other so much given to theory had not Ishmael seen fit to terminate the dispute, by bringing into view a subject that was much more important to his own immediate interests. Beavers, tails, and minks! Flesh may do to talk about before a maple fire and a quiet hearth, interrupted the squatter, without the smallest deference to the interested feelings of the disputants. But something more than farm words, or words of any sort, is now needed. Tell me, trapper, where are your sous skulking? It would be as easy to tell you the colors of the hawk that is floating beneath yonder white cloud. When a redskin strikes his blow, he is not apt to wait until he is paid for the evil deed in lead. Will the beggarly savages believe they have enough when they find themselves master of all the stock? Nature is much the same. Let it be covered by what skin it may. Do you ever find your longings after riches less when you have made a good crop than before you were master of a kernel of corn? If you do, you differ from what the experience of a long life tells me is the common cravings of man. Speak plainly, old stranger, said the squatter, striking the butt of his rifle heavily on the earth, his dull capacity finding no pleasure in a discourse that was conducted in so obscure allusions. I have asked a simple question, and one I know well that you can answer. You are right, you are right. I can answer, for I have too often seen the disposition of my kind to mistake it, when evil is stirring, when the Sioux have gathered in the beast, and have made sure that you are not upon their heels, they will be back nibbling like hungry wolves to take the bait they have left, or it may be, they'll show the temper of the great bears that are found at the falls of the long river, and strike at once with the paw, without stopping to nose their prey. You have then seen the animals you mention? exclaimed Dr. Battius, who had now been thrown out of the conversation quite as long as his impatience could well brook, and who approached the subject with his tablets ready open, as a book of reference. Can you tell me if what you encountered was of the species Ursus horribilis, with the ears rounded, front arquated, eyes, destitute of the remarkable supplemental lid, with six incisors, one false, and four perfect molars? "'Trapper, go on, for we are engaged in reasonable discourse,' interrupted Ishmael. "'You believe we shall see more of the robbers?' "'Nay, nay, I do not call them robbers, for it is the usage of their people, and what may be called the prairie law.' "'I have come five hundred miles to find a place where no man can ding the words of the law in my ears,' said Ishmael fiercely. "'And I am not in a humor to stand quietly at a bar while a redskin sits in judgment.' I tell you, Trapper, if another Sioux is seen prowling around my camp, whatever it may be, he shall feel the contents of old Kentuck, slapping his rifle in a manner that would be easily misconstrued. 
though he wore the Medal of Washington himself. Footnote. The American government creates chiefs among the western tribes, and decorates them with silver medals hearing the impression of the different presidents. That of Washington is the most prized. I call the man a robber who takes that which is not his own. The Teton and the Pawnee and the Konza and men of a dozen other tribes claim to own these naked fields. Nature gives them the lie in their teeth. The air, the water, and the ground are free gifts to man, and no one has the power to portion them out in parcels. Man must drink and breathe and walk, and therefore each has a right to his share of earth. Why do not the surveyors of the state set their compasses and run their lines over our heads as well as beneath our feet? Why do they not cover their shining sheepskins with big words, giving to the landholder, or perhaps he should be called airholder? So many rods of heaven, with the use of such a star for a boundary mark, and such a cloud to turn a mill. As the squatter uttered his wild conceit, he laughed from the very bottom of his chest in scorn. The deriding but frightful merriment passed from the mouth of one of his ponderous sons to that of the other, until it had made the circuit of the whole family. "'Come, trapper,' continued Ishmael, in a tone of better humor, like a man who feels that he has triumphed. "'Neither of us, I reckon, has ever had much to do with title deeds, or county clerks, or blaze trees. Therefore we will not waste words on fooleries. You are a man that has tarried long in this clearing, and now I ask your opinion, face to face, without fear or favor. If you had the lead in my business, what would you do?' The old man hesitated, and seemed to give the required advice with deep reluctance. As every eye, however, was fastened on him, and whichever way he turned his face, he encountered a look riveted on the lineaments of his own working countenance. He answered in a low, melancholy tone, I have seen too much mortal blood poured out in empty quarrels to wish ever to hear an angry rifle again. Ten weary years have I sojourned alone on these naked plains, waiting for my hour, and not a blow have I struck again an enemy more humanized than the grizzly bear. Ursus Horribilis, muttered the doctor. The speaker paused at the sound of the other's voice, but perceiving it was no more than a sort of mental ejaculation, he continued in the same strain. More humanized than the grizzly here, or the panther of the Rocky Mountains, unless the beaver, which is a wise and knowing animal, may be so reckoned. What would I advise? Even the female buffalo will fight for her young. It never then shall be said that Ishmael Bush has less kindness for his children than the bear for her cubs. And yet this is but a naked spot for a dozen men to make head in, again five hundred. Aye, it is so, returned the squatter, glancing his eye towards his humble camp. But something might be done with the wagons and the cottonwood. The trapper shook his head incredulously, and pointed across the rolling plain in the direction of the west, as he answered, a rifle would send a bullet from these hills into your very sleeping cabins. Nay, arrows from the thicket in your rear would keep you all barreled, like so many prairie dogs. It wouldn't do, it wouldn't do. Three long miles from this spot is a place where, as I have often thought in passing across the desert, a stand might be made for days and weeks together, if there were hearts and hands ready to engage in the bloody work. Another low, deriding laugh passed among the young men, announcing, in a manner sufficiently intelligible, their readiness to undertake a task even more arduous. 
the squatter himself eagerly seized the hint which had been so reluctantly extorted from the trapper who by some singular process of reasoning had evidently persuaded himself that it was his duty to be strictly neutral a few direct impertinent inquiries served to obtain the little additional information that was necessary in order to make the contemplated movement and then ishmael who was on emergencies as terrifically energetic as he was sluggish in common set about effecting his object without delay notwithstanding the industry and zeal of all engaged the task was one of great labor and difficulty the loaded vehicles were to be drawn by hand across a wide distance of plain without track or guide of any sort except that which the trapper furnished by communicating his knowledge of the cardinal points of the compass in accomplishing this object the gigantic strength of the men was taxed to the utmost nor were the females or the children spared a heavy proportion of the toil while the sons distributed themselves about the heavily loaded wagons and drew them by main strength up the neighboring swell their mother and ellen surrounded by the amazed group of little ones followed slowly in the rear bending under the weight of such different articles as were suited to their several strengths ishmael himself superintended and directed the whole occasionally applying his colossal shoulder to some lagging vehicle until he saw that the chief difficulty that of gaining the level of their intended route was accomplished then he pointed out the required course cautioning his sons to proceed in such a manner that they should not lose the advantage they had with so much labor obtained and beckoning to the brother of his wife they returned together to the empty camp throughout the whole of this movement which occupied an hour of time the trapper had stood apart leaning on his rifle with the aged hound slumbering at his feet a silent but attentive observer of all that passed occasionally a smile lighted his hard muscular but wasted features like a gleam of sunshine flitting across a ragged ruin and betrayed the momentary pleasure he found in witnessing from time to time the vast power the youth discovered then as the train drew slowly up the ascent a cloud of thought and sorrow threw all into the shade again leaving the expression of his countenance in its usual state of quiet melancholy as vehicle after vehicle left the place of the encampment he noted the change with increasing attention seldom failing to cast an inquiring look at the little neglected tent which with its proper wagon still remained as before solitary and apparently forgotten the summons of ishmael to his gloomy associate had however as it would now seem this hitherto neglected portion of his effects for its objects First casting a cautious and suspicious glance on every side of him, the squatter and his companion advanced to the little wagon and caused it to enter within the folds of the cloth, much in the manner that it had been extricated the preceding evening. They both then disappeared behind the drapery, and many moments of suspense succeeded, during which the old man, secretly urged by a burning desire to know the meaning of so much mystery, insensibly drew nigh to the place until he stood within a few yards of the prescribed spot. The agitation of the cloth betrayed the nature of the occupation of those whom it concealed, though their work was conducted in rigid silence. It would appear that long practice had made each of the two acquainted with his particular duty, for neither sign nor direction of any sort was necessary from Ishmael in order to apprise his surly associate of the manner in which he was to proceed. In less time than has been consummated in relating it, 
the interior portion of the arrangement was completed, when the men reappeared without the tent. Too busy with his occupation to heed the presence of the trapper, Ishmael began to release the folds of the cloth from the ground, and to dispose of them in such manner around the vehicle as to form a sweeping train to the new form the little pavilion had now assumed. The arch-roof trembled with the occasional movement of the light vehicle, which, it was now apparent, once more supported its secret burden. Just as the work was ended, the scowling eye of Ishmael's assistant caught a glimpse of the figure of the attentive observer of their movements. Dropping the shaft, which he had already lifted from the ground, preparatory to occupying the place that was usually filled by an animal less reasoning and perhaps less dangerous than himself, he bluntly exclaimed, "'I am a fool, as you often say. But look for yourself. If that man is not an enemy, I will disgrace father and mother, call myself an Indian, and go hunt with the Sioux.' The cloud, as it is about to discharge a subtle lightning, is not more dark nor threatening than the look with which Ishmael greeted the intruder. He turned his head on every side of him, as if seeking some engine sufficiently terrible to annihilate the offending trapper at a blow, and then, possibly recollecting the further occasion he might have for his counsel, he forced himself to say with an appearance of moderation that nearly choked him, "'Stranger!' I did not believe this prying into concerns of others was the business of women in towns and settlements, and not the manner in which men, who are used to live where each has room for himself, deal with the secrets of their neighbors. To what lawyer or sheriff do you calculate to sell your news? I hold but little discourse except with one, and then chiefly of my own affairs, returned the old man, without the least observable apprehension, and pointing imposingly upward. A judge! and judge of all. Little does he need knowledge from my hands, and but little will your wish to keep anything secret from him profit you, even in this desert. The mounting tempers of his unnurtured listeners were rebuked by the simple, solemn manner of the trapper. Ishmael stood sullen and thoughtful, while his companions stole a furtive and involuntary glance at the placid sky, which spread so wide and blue above his head, as if he expected to see the almighty eye itself beaming from the heavenly vault. But impressions of a serious character are seldom lasting on minds long indulged in forgetfulness. The hesitation of the squatter was consequently of short duration. The language, however, as well as the firm and collected air of the speaker, were the means of preventing much subsequent abuse, if not violence. "'It would be showing more of the kindness of a friend and comrade,' Ishmael returned, in a tone sufficiently sown to betray his humour, though it was no longer threatening. "'Had your shoulder been put to the wheel of one of our yonder wagons, instead of edging itself in here, where none are wanted but such as are invited?' "'I can put the little strength that is left me,' returned the trapper, "'to this as well as to another of your loads.' "'Do you take us for boys?' exclaimed Ishmael laughing, half in ferocity and half in derision, applying his powerful strength at the same time to the little vehicle, which rolled over the grass with as much seeming facility as if it were drawn by its usual team. The trapper paused and followed the departing wagon with his eye, marveling greatly as to the nature of its concealed contents, until it had also gained the summit of the eminence, and in its turn disappeared behind the swell of the land. Then he turned to gaze at the desolation of the scene around him, the absence of human forms would have scarce created a sensation in the bosom of one so long accustomed to solitude, had not the sight of the deserted camp furnished such strong memorials of its recent visitors. 
and as the old man was quick to detect, of their waist also. He cast his eyes upwards, with a shake of the head, at the vacant spot in the heavens which had so lately been filled by the branches of those trees that now lay stripped of their verdure, worthless and deserted logs at his feet. Ay, he muttered to himself, I might have known it, I might have known it. Often have I seen the same before, and yet I brought them to the spot myself, and have now sent them to the only neighborhood of their kind within many long leagues of the spot where I stand. This is man's wish, and pride, and waste, and sinfulness. He tames the beasts of the field to feed his idle wants, and having robbed the brutes of their natural food, he teaches them to strip the earth of its trees to quiet their hunger. A rustling in the low bushes which still grew, for some distance, along the swale that formed the thicket on which the camp of Ishmael had rested, caught his ear at the moment, and cut short the soliloquy. The habits of so many years, spent in the wilderness, caused the old man to bring his rifle to a poise, with something like the activity and promptitude of his youth. But, suddenly recovering his recollection, he dropped it into the hollow of his arm again, and resumed his air of melancholy resignation. "'Come forth, come forth,' he said aloud. "'Be bird, or be beast, ye are safe from these old hands. I have eaten, and I have drunk. Why should I take life, when my wants call for no sacrifice? It will not be long before the birds will peck up eyes that shall not see them, and perhaps light on my very bones, for if things like these are only made to perish, why am I to expect to live forever?' Come forth, come forth, you are safe from harm at these weak hands. Thank you for the good word, old trapper, cried Paul Hover, springing actively forward from his place of concealment. There was an air about you, when you threw forward the muzzle of the piece, that I did not like, for it seemed to say that you were master of all the rest of the motions. You are right, you are right, cried the trapper, laughing with inward self-complacency at the recollection of his former skill. The day has been when few men knew the virtues of a long rifle. Like this I carry, better than myself, old and useless as I now seem. You are right, young man, and the time was when it was dangerous to move a leaf within an earshot of my stand. Or, he added, dropping his voice and looking serious, for a red mingo to show an eyeball from his ambushment. You have heard of the red mingos? I have heard of minks, said Paul, taking the old man by the arm and gently urging him towards the thicket as he spoke, while at the same time he cast quick and uneasy glances behind him, in order to make sure he was not observed. "'Of your common black minks, but none of any other color.' "'Lord, Lord,' continued the trapper, shaking his head, and still laughing in his deep but quiet manner, "'the boy mistakes a brute for a man, though a mingo is a little better than a beast, or for that matter he is worse.' when rum and opportunity are placed before his eyes. There was that accursed Huron from the upper lakes that I knocked from his perch among the rocks in the hills. Back of the hoary, his voice was lost in a thicket into which he had suffered himself to be led by Paul while speaking, too much occupied by thoughts which dwelt on scenes and acts that had taken place half a century earlier in the history of the country to offer the smallest resistance. End of chapter 7